This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Religion is for sale, and there are many pastors, preachers, churches, and Christian denominations getting rich by selling you the idea that you must give God, them, 10% of your income in order to secure a financial blessing and obtain prosperity. Valeria Tellez interviews Terrence Jameson, the author of The Tithing Conspiracy, exposing the lies and false teachings about tithing and the prosperity gospel. Terrence Jameson was raised in a single-parent home with his younger brother in Omaha, Nebraska. Despite not having a father figure for guidance, Terrence was able to succeed by embracing education. Terrence's love of reading and passion for learning was evident at an early age. A thirst for knowledge and academic excellence allowed him to receive several academic awards from elementary school through high school. Terrence attended Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, before receiving a business administration degree from the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Terrence would later obtain an MBA from Vanderbilt University with concentrations in accounting and finance. Terrence has lived in several cities and calls the state of Georgia home. Terrence has also lived in the United Arab Emirates. Thus far, Terrence has traveled to five continents and visited over 25 countries. In addition to writing books and blogging about ways to improve your finances, Terrence is passionate about empowering people to live a fuller life through education and pursuing their dreams to achieve financial freedom. Terrence is also passionate about investing in organic mini-farm operations to achieve food security and end domestic hunger. Meet Terrence at terrencejameson.com. Here is the interview with Terrence Jameson. In your own words, who is Terrence Jameson? Terrence Jameson is just a, I would say, an average guy who has a passion for life, has a passion for people, has a passion for teaching, education, and just really helping people and speaking truth. So when you say passion, is that connected to purpose? Absolutely. Uh, everyone has a purpose in life, and my passion is to really speak truth. Uh, another passion that I have is farming, which is what I was doing before I moved to the uh, United Arab Emirates. 
But these things is really what my driving focus is each and every morning that I get up. It's what's going to, it's really my, my present and my future. Is there a moment in time where you discovered your purpose or it was a um, evolution, a journey? Part of that actually was writing my first book, The Tithing Conspiracy, uh, speaking the truth, uh, taking uh, something that is so pure, such as uh, spirituality and religion, and making it to where everyone can understand it. That, I think, was speaking my truth or speaking the truth. So I think my purpose in life was kind of manifested in, you know, really writing my first book. So how did you become a Christian? Well, uh, I was raised in a Christian household, a single-parent household uh, by my mother. So Christianity was something that was always around me. I grew up going to church. Uh, church was very much a part of my life. But strangely, when I was uh, around 12 and 13 years old, during the summers, the summer vacation when we were out of school, instead of you know engaging in sports or playing video games and different things like that, uh, I really like to read. And one of the books that I would read is the Bible. And so um, I just gravitated to reading the Word of God. And that's really what inspired me in terms of my understanding of the Bible. And so I began to, be, uh, began, began to read, and uh, it really helped me become more of a critical thinker to where, even though I was raised in a, say, a Christian denomination, I was able to step away from, say, a denomination and actually and look at what does the Bible say? What am I supposed to learn from this? And so that really was what opened up my mind to really be able to look at the Bible critically and also to challenge the different manner and ways in which I was raised in some of the, the doctrines that I was taught. So basically you're saying that not all churches are honest and tell the truth. Absolutely. And, and the most fundamental source to discover those, to discover the truths or those untruths, if you will, that, you know, are being pressed upon you is actually the unadulterated word of God. Uh, the Bible is very plain and clear if we just read it and read it critically. And so when we attend our weekly services, if something is being said from the pulpit that contradicts what you've read in plain black and white paper and on the Bible, then you should challenge that. Why do you think so many of us don't question the church or even governments, per se? Um, well, a lot of times I think it comes from uh, feeling insecure, okay? Many people think, who am I to challenge my pastor, okay? Uh, who am I to challenge clergy? Uh, I'm not smart enough, Okay. Uh, these individuals, they've had a longer walk with God than me. Or if I'm looking at a politician, politicians, many of these people are successful businessmen, businesswomen. Uh, they've done far more remarkable things in life than you feel you've done. So you automatically credit them perhaps more than what you should in terms of being able to guide you or being superior to you in some way. What is true spirituality to you, and is that different from religion? And another question is, do we need to go to church in order to be spiritual? I think spirituality is something that comes from the inside out. 
Okay, because spirituality is your personal walk with God. It's something that's very personal and intimate. Okay. Now, as far as going to church, the Bible says, fail not to assemble yourself with other like believers. Okay. So you should assimilate or seek out people who have a similar walk and journey to have a closer relationship with God because iron sharpens iron. Okay. And sometimes you need that constructive feedback uh, to challenge you when perhaps, you know, you're not walking the path that you should. Okay. Uh, this was evident numerous times in the New Testament. I mean, even the apostles Paul would sometimes challenge Peter, who was one of Christ's most dearest disciples, when he didn't, he felt he was being somewhat prejudiced or racist in some regards. So I think you should, you know, definitely seek out other people. Now, having said that, it doesn't have to be a church, in my opinion, a physical building where hundreds to thousands of people meet on a given weekend. I am a proponent for smaller gatherings that are more intimate, where people actually get an opportunity to know one another and establish relationships versus the mega church that people go to where if you were to attend, maybe someone doesn't even recognize you or know that just you're a first-time visitor. You just kind of get lost in the crowd. I don't think that's what Jesus was looking for. Otherwise, he wouldn't have picked 12 disciples. You know, he would have picked a thousand people, but that's not how you form intimate relationships. Again, to answer your question, spirituality is something that comes from the inside out. It comes with having a personal relationship with God. It's something that you seek for yourself. It's not something that you get from pastor. It is your personal talk and walk and education through reading the Bible and prayer. It's not something that you get from a person or necessarily a place. They can help, they can help facilitate that. But the most important piece is your responsibility. What, where, and who is God to you? What is God? God is simply the creator of the universe. Okay. Where is God? He's everywhere. He resides all around us. He's manifested in everything that is created in the natural universe. God is in heaven. God is in me. Okay. Mm, yeah. He's in all my surroundings. Okay. I can't look at anything on this earth, honestly, and not see God. I see God in good. I also see God in the bad. Right. Okay. Mm. Because... He is everywhere. How do we know when we have established that relationship and now we are strong with it? Are there signs? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The first, really, there is two signs, and those are basically hinged on the first and second commandment. Or actually the, the, uh, there's a saying where the Pharisees or even the uh, are asking Jesus, what are the greatest commandments in the Bible? And Jesus says, love the Lord thy God with all thy mind and with all thy heart. And the second is like unto it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so when you're putting God first in everything, and when you wake up in the morning, worshiping him through your actions, okay, meaning that everything that your hand finds to do, you're doing for the glory of God in your work. Okay, you're making sure that if you're supposed to work a 40 hour work week, you're working exactly those 40 hours and you're trying to serve that employer 
as best you can, because the Bible says all that you do, do to the glory of God. The second is like unto it, loving your neighbor as yourself. And they're not mutually exclusive. You can't say, well, I'm keeping the the, 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 the first four commandments in you know, Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments illustrates the Ten Commandments. And the first four commandments are how you are to love God. You're not supposed to take the Lord thy God's name in vain. You're not supposed to bow down to any graven images. You're supposed to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then the remaining six shows, are, shows you how you're supposed to honor his creation. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not best bear false witness against thy neighbor. You can't say you're loving God if you're not doing good to his most important creation. Those are not mutually exclusive, if, if you understand what I mean. So if yeah. Yeah. I'm going to weekly services, uh, I'm praying every day, but at the same time, uh, I'm not doing anything to help a neighbor or someone that I see in need then I am not obeying the first commandment by honoring God. You cannot say you're doing God's will and his work when you're disrespecting, dishonoring, uh, making life extremely difficult for his most important number one creation, which is man and woman. Why is this so hard and, and challenging to love ourselves? The Bible says we're born in iniquity. We're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So our tendency, our natural tendency when we're born is to be like or try to believe the lies that the devil has told us. That first and number one, that we're inferior, that God doesn't love us, that we are not created in God's own image. Okay. So that's the that that's the one of the primary reasons why uh we don't love ourselves because the Bible says that God is love. Yeah. And if we believe that the devil is everything opposite of God, everything anti-God, then the way he can steal us away from God is, first of all, to make us not love ourselves. We have to think of ourselves as valuable because God values us. He would not have sent his son and Jesus Christ to come and die for our sins if he didn't love us. So by refusing the gift of eternal life that God has given us, that's the most clear sign that we don't love ourselves. And again, if it's 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 when we do that, we're basically believing the propaganda and the lies that the devil's trying to make us believe. It's a practice, isn't it, Terrence? Would you say that you love yourself unconditionally as God loves you? That is a challenge, if I'm being honest, to, to fully accept and love myself. Uh, and when I say that, that means I love myself recognizing and acknowledging all my internal weaknesses. Every person on the planet, no matter how good or, no how, or, or how bad, we all fall short of the glory of God daily. We never live up to the high standard which we can ascend, we, we should strive to, strive to ascend to. But one of the comforts I take is that no matter how bad I may feel about myself, God loves me and he doesn't look at me that way. You know, uh, one of the reasons why I love reading the Bible is because the Bible has a lot of characters in it. We have many of the prophets. We have, you know, Abraham. You know, we have Moses. Okay, we have King David. We have the apostles. There's all these colorful characters. But what the Bible is very clear to point out is that none of these people were perfect. Uh, Abraham wasn't perfect. He fell short. Moses wasn't perfect. 
he disobeyed God and struck the rock. And at one point in time, it's like he was a coward. You look at the apostles. I mean, many of them had faults. Uh, King David, my goodness, can you come up with a man who had more faults than him? I mean, how many people did he kill? All right. How many? Uh, how, he was a bad father <laughs> in many cases. Right. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, when we read the Bible, when God speaks, when speaks of David, he said he was a man after his own heart. OK, Abraham, despite all of his problems, you know, he was the person who was going to create the 12 tribes of Israel. OK, his father, Abraham. All right. So if God feels that way about them and all the different problems that they have, then he must feel the same thing, same way about me. So no matter what I think about myself, I know that God fully accepts me with all my faults and that this journey of salvation is indeed a lifelong journey. Okay, it's not, it doesn't matter how I am today. It's about how I measure up over the course of my life. Okay, so I don't take a snapshot of myself today and neither does God. What do you think the purpose of the human experience is? The whole purpose of life is to give glory to God, our creator. And that is true worship. That is the true purpose of life, to glorify God. Many of the experiences that we have in life, both good and bad, are to help us have a closer relationship and understanding of God so that our worship of him, our love from him, can be all the more true and all the more perfect. That is the way I understand it. There's a a fantastic book uh, that I read well over 10 years ago by Rick Warren, the uh, well-known pastor in California who wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And I think one of the first lines in this book was, is that it's not about you. Life is not about us. It's about pleasing God. And when we do that, it helps us get a closer walk in relationship with our God, okay, with our creator. And when we can do that well, his gift to us is eternal life. We can step away from the experiences, as many of the negative experiences that we have, where we can look forward to a life anew, where many of the tragic things that we have to experience are just are not even won't even ever enter our mind again. The loved ones that we lost will be able to, you know, uh, meet again. This is what God, this is what life is all about. It's about character development, shedding off the weak, eternal weaknesses, making us fit so that we can enjoy an eternity with our creator. Because think about it this way. And I'll be quick with this. Unless you have a character that is perfected in a manner to where you just desire to spend your entire life with Jesus Christ and you're willing to burn off the dross, if you will. If you still want to carry your evil traits and practices with you, frankly, heaven is not going to be a nice place for you. The earth made new is not going to be a nice place. It's going to be, you're going to be miserable. You know, this is why I said earlier when you asked a question, you know, what, what is spirituality? Yes, it's an eternal thing. But it's also building relationships with other like-minded people, because if you don't, if you want, if you want to be by yourself, 
then in the earth made new, it's, it's not going to be a pleasant place because there's going to be millions and maybe billions of other people there as well. And they're all going to be like minded whose purpose in life was to worship God, to, to glorify him and to uplift their fellow human beings. What a beautiful, wonderful awareness to have that this is the purpose of life. Thank you, Terence. And speaking of um, heaven, what is your idea of heaven? Wow. You know, the Bible says that it has not even entered into the mind of man what heaven is. Uh, but what the things I look forward to is I look forward to seeing the people that, uh, that have died. You know, the people that uh, I really look forward to that. I look forward to a place where there's no longer any hunger. There's no longer any death. There's no longer any of the bad treatment. There's no more lies. There's, more, there's no more killing. There's no more crime, you know, where everyone can just truly get along. These are the things that I look forward to. I look forward to no longer being separated from the people that I love. And that also always makes me wonder about being here in a human body. Do you think we made this choice, all of us, or God chose us to be here. Oh, he absolutely chose us to be here. Absolutely. Uh, it wasn't happenstance. Every single human being that has ever existed on this planet, we were specifically chosen by God. Now, our father and our mother may have contributed the DNA and our biological existence and create and been part of the, 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 the form in which we inhabit. But we have to remember what Adam was. He was just a mound of dirt that God had fashioned with his hands. And then he did something truly remarkable. Where everything else he spoke into existence, God got down on his hands and knees, knelt over Adam's face, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He breathed his essence into him. And at the moment that sperm meets that DNA, something incredible happens where the Spirit of God enters us and we become a living soul. So because of that miracle, there's not a single person on this earth that was here by mistake. Doesn't matter the circumstances in which we were born or where, where, how we were conceived. We are not a mistake. What is the meaning of freedom to you, Terence? What is to be free? Freedom is having a choice in life. That's what freedom means to me having a choice, being able to decide what you want to do, not having to be dictated by freedom is, again, it's a choice, whether good or bad. You, can, you have the ability to make it. How did you become a writer? And what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, The Thiving Conspiracy, exposing the lies and false teachings about tithing and the prosperity gospel? I'll answer your first question first. How did I become a writer? I think it was always in me. The writing for my first book came easy because the story was in me. All I had to do was just tell my story and just take the time to put the words on a piece of paper, in this case, in my computer. Now, the inspiration to write the book, I speak about in the introduction of my book. It was the year 2000. Actually, uh, I just moved to Washington, D.C. Uh, I was underpaid and still trying to recover from the financial crisis of 9-11, really. 
And my mother was in a bad financial situation. She was unemployed. I was underemployed. And she needed money. And at the time, I was still on the fence about whether we should be tithing or not. And I had grown up in a Christian church where tithing was something that was very, very important. This was a, it also, it was actually something in which you measured your relationship with God. The faithful Christians and people out there return a tenth to God faithfully. Okay. But at the same time, my mother needed help to pay her bills. I mean, if she didn't get financial support, she was going to be foreclosed like Many of the people at that time, many of the people uh, during the 2008-2009 financial crisis, and unfortunately, many of the people during this uh, COVID-19 worldwide pandemic. I was at a very prominent church, uh, attending a very prominent church in uh, Northern Virginia. They, it was an upper-middle-class church, a uh, huge congregation, and I was actually on this part of the staff that actually counted the money, the proceeds that were brought in from the parishioners that day. And it was thousands of dollars. And me being underpaid at the time, I, you know, I, the sum I was putting in was very small compared to what some of the other parishioners were putting in. And this was a church that didn't seem to need any money. But at the same time, my mother was struggling to make ends meet. And so I asked myself, is God really asking me, demanding me to pay, return to him when my fellow, my, my, my mother is struggling? So I was always challenged by this. And uh, that's what really led me to write the book. Once I became aware that this is, the tithing is, 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 is lies. That I just had something inside of me just compelled me to have to put it in writing. So I just went on this. I just learned as much as I could. I read every scripture that I could, and I told this. I told the truth, and I revealed it in a in a in a, in a book. So does the Bible suggest that Christians engage in tithing, or this is something completely invented by the uh, preachers and churches? specific churches. Tithing is something that has been pretty much, you know, in the year 2020, the idea of tithing is something that uh, is really only preached the, the preachers and the clergy. There is no biblical command for people to tithe today. Even the Jews uh, no longer tithe because the temple has been destroyed. It's been destroyed since Roman time. And, and, and tithing has never been about money, okay? It was always supposed to be fruits, you, you know, the produce that, you know, you raise from your uh, garden or farm or from your flocks. That is what was supposed to be brought to the temple and returned as tithe. So, you know, to shift from, you know, uh, produce and cattle to a fiat currency, it's just absolutely not biblical. There is, there, I mean, matter of fact, I, I illustrate in my book that the, during the times that uh, the tithing could be converted to money, it was only for people who had to make a long journey. And it would have been uh, laborious for them to try to bring cattle and produce from a, to a long journey to the temple. In that case, it could be exchanged for money, but there was an actual uh, ten, an extra 10% penalty added to it. So the tithing system that we see today 
looks nothing like the tithing system that we read about in the Old Testament. And so the question you ask is then who has the authority to change it? Right, right. Jesus didn't change the tithing system, and neither did any of his apostles. So how do we have the authority to change something that for hundreds or thousands of years existed? There's no biblical explanation, not a biblical one. So did you question the preachers at the time when you began to question the whole concept of giving money to the church? Did I question the, the preachers personally? Yeah. The answer yeah. is no. Okay. The answer is no. Okay. In many cases, it's like talking to a rock. Okay. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> Uh, there, there are those who just don't want to hear the argument yeah, because, right. again, it, it's, 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 it, it goes against their livelihood in some cases. And then you've got the, uh, the TV evangelists who are making enormous sums of money by telling people that you're going to be cursed with the curse if you don't tie. So this is their income. This is how they got their riches. So they are, have no motivation or interest to tell you the truth. So there are some people that I honestly believe are ignorant, okay? They're just following the teachings that they were raised by. And then there's some probably even larger person who do know the truth, but they're just going to toe the line. These are the false, these are the false teachers and people who are telling the lies. The rest of them, I just truly believe, are ignorant. Oh, I see. They simply don't know, right? They simply don't know, just like I didn't know because they never learned how to challenge or read the Bible critically. So how do we learn to recognize these? Um, you call them prosperity preachers, actually, and false teachers. So how do we learn to recognize them? Well, first of all, when they week after week quote Malachi chapter 3, where they talk about you are cursed with the curse, okay? It is not God. God is love. God mm. is not his purpose in life is not to curse us, okay? Right, right. And God doesn't want anything from us where our motivation for providing is because of a curse. God is love. He, he, does, he wants us to give a free will offering back to him. Anything we do for him, he wants it to come from love of him, not because of fear mm. of some type of curse or death. So this right. is how you can immediately identify that, you know, this person's a false teacher. There is a prominent church in Atlanta, Georgia, where, and I won't say the name of this church, uh, where people are asked to provide their 1040 tax return. All the members, if you want to be a good and faithful member, you have to provide your 1040 tax return because we need to see what your AGI is and because you're supposed to be paying 10% on that. If you're not, uh, if we didn't get that check that weekend and someone from our call ministry is going to call you and say, when can we expect to receive that payment? Like it's some type of utility bill. Yeah, right. These are the ways you can quickly identify whether these people are disingenuous. So anything that comes from fear, it cannot be God or it cannot Absolutely. be coming from God. Absolutely. I, yeah. Thank you for your wisdom, Terrence. Yes, absolutely. We're almost at the end. I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, would you like to add anything or even talk to me for a moment about your first book, What My Father Didn't Teach Me? That's actually uh, my second book, uh, What My Father Didn't Teach Me. It's a, it still has all the spiritual and religious 
uh, undertones in it, and I make no apology for that. That's just simply who I am. But what it is is a comp- compilation of many of the lessons that had my father been present in my life, I would have learned. I grew up in a single family household raised by my mom uh, and my little brother. And what I wrote this book to do was to say these are the things that I would have liked to have learned uh, from my mo- from my father, from from a male perspective. Uh, my mother did a wonderful job in raising me as best as she could. But there comes a point in your life where as a man, you need to get the guidance from another man because a woman just is not able to relate to a young boy who's coming into adulthood. OK, no more than a father will be able to uh, relate to a young woman uh, coming into womanhood. Uh, we have different lenses. You know, women see, see with pink lenses, men see with blue lenses. <laughs> and so right up into my, uh, I guess, late teens, early 20s, I really started to miss having a fatherly influence in my life, you know, to guide me about making the right choices that would make me fit to become someday a husband uh, and a father and to also learn lessons about money. You know, money is a very important tool in our life to make no mistake. Uh, it gives you options. It gives you choices. And the decisions that you make early in life with money will can impact the type of uh, husband and father you are in terms of being able to provide. So this book articulates many of the things. It's actually a much, much longer book. It's well over 200 pages of the things that I had to learn in in adulthood that, frankly, if I had learned them earlier in my teens, I would have probably had a much better head start. And uh, it it would have put my life on a bit of a fast forward. But the uh, undertone of the book, all throughout the book, is that same spirituality, is that same recognition of God and the principles that the abundant life that God wants to give you. And I guess that's what the, the, the undertone of the book is, is really that abundant life, that thought process, that mindset hmm. that God wants you to have because his best interest for you uh, has always been there. But if you don't have the right foundation, you know, you end up zigzagging around uh, before you. It's not it's not the shortest distance between uh, two paths, the, the route we take, where if I had those principles, I would have gotten there a lot faster. You mentioned earlier beautifully that there are no mistakes in life. God makes no mistakes. God makes no mistakes. Yes, absolutely. Do you think that everything that happens to us there are also no mistakes, that they are there for a reason. Let me be clear. God does not make mistakes. We make mistakes all the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. It's our burden to learn from those mistakes. And if we are in God, if, we, if, if God is our ultimate quest and destination, then we don't have to live in fear of those mistakes. You know, God is able to turn that thing around. Okay. In Philippians, it says all things work together for good. To them that love the Lord and are, guided, and are guided according to his purpose. It doesn't mean my situation is good at this point in time. It doesn't mean that, you know, I made all the right decisions in my life. But if we keep God as our central focus, he's able to turn that thing around and we're not lost. Okay, he is our hope. He is our source of strength. 
when we're disconnected from our source of strength, when we're separated, we're the vine and he's the branch. When we separate ourselves from that, then we wither up and die. Okay, but as long as we stay connected to that power source, even our bad situation can be turned around at some point. I've not, I've made some bad decisions in life, but praise God, they didn't adversely affect me to the point where it's crippled me for years to come. And, and that's the message I want to leave. You can always, if you don't lose hope and you keep the faith, you, your situation, your lot in life can change. It can all be turned around. What is success to you these days? What is to be successful? Success is contentment. That is success. Contentment. In one word, content. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? Honestly, right now, I'm doing everything that I want to do. There's nothing I would do differently. I'm doing everything I want to do. And the reason why is because I don't, sure, I have lifelong, I have plans that I have, but also live in the here and now. Every day, every single day is a gift from God. And I make sure I thank him for, you know, the fact that I'm living, that I'm alive, that I'm well, and I can interact with my, interact with my wife and my children. I don't leave anything on the table. Every day I live to God's glory. Every single day. I live, I live to God for God's glory. And so whatever instances I have to be the best person I can be, I do that. So I can't say there's anything I would do differently right now. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Three things about life that I know for sure right now. Yeah. Number one, I know that God loves me. Number two, I know that salvation is mine. And number three, I know that someday I'm going to depart this earth. Those are the, those are the three things I, I absolutely know. God loves me. Salvation is mine. And one day I'm going to depart this earth. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your presence, your beautiful presence, your mission, your purpose, your books. Thank you, Terrence. Oh, you're very welcome. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Uh, you can read my short autobiography on terrencejameson.com. Uh, that's my personal website, uh, www.terrencejameson.com. My books, uh, you can find on my personal website. And then there's a link also to where you can find them on Amazon. Wonderful. I'll have those links also on the podcast profile. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today. Thank you, Terrence. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Terrence Jameson and his works, please visit terrencejameson.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.